Hello, everyone. My name is Magdalena, and I'm a grateful member of Al-Anon. I hope I look okay. I got dressed in a car. <laughs> My hair's a little flat. <laughs> Makeup was done in the car, so if it's all mirror up, you know, smear, it's, it's because Yvonne was driving really fast. <laughs> My dress might be backwards. <laughs> but we show up, right? <laughs> Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. Um, it was 27 degrees this morning when I got up. <laughs> and so it was so beautiful to see blue skies. So I'm so grateful. Thank you. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit of what it was like, what happened, and how it is today. Uh, my home group is the Rent on Thursday Night. It's the oldest group in the state of Washington, and it's the best group ever. <laughs> I hope you guys feel the same about your home group. My home group is one of those groups that uh, used to meet before Alan and existed. We were already there. And back in the day, um, in uh, maybe 1940s, late 40s, uh, uh, we used to register. We, used to, we were already gathering together and we used to register with AA. And one day, uh, Bill came with this li long list of, um, of uh, groups that were trying to register with AA, but we don't, didn't only just want to register with AA, we also wanted to, AA to create literature for us. <laughs> and we were sending seven traditions. <laughs> we were doing so good, and Bill goes, I don't know, these people don't qualify. <laughs> so, we can create books for them. So he came with this list of uh, 87 groups that, uh, that were registered with alcoholics, or were trying to register with Alcoholics Anonymous, and came to Lewis and said, Bill, I mean, Lewis, here, here's this uh, list. Uh, can you start something? And Lewis said, well, Bill, I'm 60 years old. <laughs> I've been homeless for a while. <laughs> And now we have these beautiful homes, stepping stones, and, and I love working in the garden. And Bill goes, well, I don't know what to do. Here's a list. <laughs> so Lois, you know, she loved the families of alcoholics. She loved us. And so she asked her friend, Ann B., who was her, also her neighbor, and said, can you help me with this? So they both got together and sent letters to all those 87 groups that were trying to register with AA and ask if they wanted to be part of our family groups. And so 56 of those groups responded and my home group is one of them. So yay, that's my <laughs> So I'm from Ensenada, Mexico. Um, it's a drinking town. Everybody gets drunk, everybody gets high. It's pretty normal. So. Growing up with alcoholism was normal, right? Uh, my dad is a, the first alcoholic I ever met. Uh, he started drinking when he was about eight years old with his father because his father was a problem drinker. Uh, they didn't know what to do with him back in the day in Mexico, so they built a, because he was a violent alcoholic, so they built a box in the backyard and they stuck my grandfather in there. And they had a little door like that, you know, and, that, and they fed him through the little door, you know. That was the cure for alcoholism back in the day in Mexico. So as you can imagine, he didn't have much of a social life, you know. So his only friend was my father. So he started drinking with his father at that age. So when my parents met around 15, 16 years old, my father was already a problem drinker. And I'm the oldest of six girls. My dad always wanted a boy. <laughs> and I was born. And he named me after his father. His name was Magdaleno. So they just changed the O to an A. And, and, uh, and my mom just kept having kids. And I couldn't understand why. She will have kids because my dad was so ugly, you know. <laughs> he was about 5'4", you know, really short, big belly, big head, really ugly. <laughs> and he was always drunk, and I'm uh, just like, what is she seeing on this guy? He's so ugly. And then on top of that, he always had a girlfriend on the side because he was a macho man. And, and so he kept having, you know, she just kept having kids. And I asked her, why do you have kids? He's so ugly. And then she said, well, because 
um, the Pope in the church told her that if, if she uh, took birth control pills, uh, she was going to go to hell. And in my head, I'm thinking, she's already in hell living with this guy, you know? <laughs> so, but anyways, uh, one day, uh, my, my dad was a violent alcoholic, and, and I was his target. He and I never got along. I, ever since I remember, I wanted to kill my dad. And, and I've always been tall and thin, and, and my father used to tell me, Larguchona, get up and go get me a bottle of tequila. And in Mexico at that time, we were able to get tequila. So I remember being six, seven years old, going to the liquor store, getting him a big bottle of tequila, and I would come home and tell him, here's your tequila. And then, by the way, I can't remember the last time I had milk. All we eat at home is beans and tortillas. That's all we eat. We, left, we lived in this tiny little house with two rooms, and when it rained, it rained in the house. Um, and I would tell him, well, here's your tequila, and by the way, I can't remember the last time I had milk, and my dad did not like me telling him that, so he used to pull out his, this skinny leather belt and just hit me with the belt, and, and I remember putting my skinny arms up, you know, and I had belt marks all over my body, and, and I would go to school like that, and, and, uh, and the kids didn't want to play with me because I, I, I was... Uh, you know, I, I look different. <laughs> Most kids in Mexico are short and chubby. They're cute. I'm tall and skinny. It's really hard, hard to hide, you know? And so I remember going to, towards a kid, and I wanted to play with them, and they're like, no, we don't want to play with you. Look at you. Your dad beat you up again. And it's like, how could I hide? You know, there was just no way. And, and then the kids were saying, then you smell like beans. And, and I did because uh, we didn't even have toothbrush or anything. And, and then, uh, or in the morning, he would say, Larguchona, get up and sweep the floor. And I would tell him, why? It's a dirt floor. It didn't make sense to me. And so he would hit me again. And, and that went like that forever. And, but you know, in Al-Anon, we have such an honest and beautiful program that says that on the four-step inventory, it says that it's an honest inventory, and I needed to look and see the reality of my life. And it wasn't that bad. I had my grandparents. My grandparents just loved me on my, on my uh, mom's side. And, and every time they saw me, my grandma called me Mi Negra. Hey, Mi Negra, you know, and, uh, and, which is black girl. But, you know, um, I used to be really dark, but now I live in Washington State, so. <laughs> I didn't know I was this color. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, uh, my grandma would make flour tortillas and give me a tortilla and I would put butter and it just, tasted so good. Then I would go next room where my grandfather was, and my grandfather was always reading. He was so smart, and 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 I, I remember sitting on my grandfather's laps, and uh, and while I'm sitting on my grandfather's laps, I'm I'm uh, helping him clean the seeds out of the marijuana, you know, and I'm helping him roll the joints. <laughs> And then my grandfather would light up a joint and say, hear me, how you want to take a hit? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, Grandpa, that stinks. And we, the whole family talked about my grandfather like he was this great guy. And he was. You know, he was a very loving person. But they say he traveled all over the world. And he spoke different languages. And, and while I'm, you know, he's getting high with this you know, joint that he's starting... He's talking to me in Japanese and Chinese, and I'm just, he's just so smart. <laughs> I didn't know he was high. <laughs> and then I, I learned later in Allen on that, um, you know, the marijuana makes people lazy, so he probably never went anywhere, you know. <laughs> so one day my dad comes to my mom, and now she has five kids at that time, and she's in her late 20s, and he tells her, you know I'm seeing somebody else and, and she's pregnant and you know that I don't love you, so you need to leave and take your five kids with you. And not knowing what to do, my, you know, my mom had a sixth grade education. Um, um, who's gonna hire her in Mexico? There's no jobs, or there was no jobs at that time. And, 
And uh, so she asked me if I will take care of um, the kids while she came to, uh, to the U.S. to work because somebody offered her a job as a nanny. And, and I said, yes, Mom, I, I will, you know, anything to get away from that monster. And, and so I, that's when I became my, my sister's uh, mother. And I was not a very good mother. You know, my dad beat me, I beat my sisters. And, and you know, today I understand alcoholism is a disease. But back then, I didn't know. I didn't know my dad suffered from this terrible illness. And, and, uh, and, and alcoholism is a progressive disease, and it affects the mind, the body, and the spirit. So my dad um, stopped looking at us like we were his daughters and started looking at us like we were women and started touching my sisters in a way a father should never touch his kids and started spying on me when I was getting undressed. And, and I got scared and I remember uh, writing to my mom and say, mom, this is what's going on at home. And, and she said, well, I know, she said, she knew. And she said, if you wanna come uh, to the US and, and and uh, work with me, uh, you can, uh, but you're gonna have to stop going to school. And I said, Mom, I'm not learning anything. Anyways, I had stayed back in third grade three times because I was this tall, stupid kid. You know, my dad always, every time a child was born, he would say, oh, another prostitute. My prostitute, he told me every single day uh, that I should not be going to school. So in order to go to school, I used to sneak out of the house to go to school. Um, uh, he he uh, told me that I should be selling food on the streets, women should not be educated, um, I look like a dog, and oh my God, all these things. And, and uh, so I told my mom, so when I would go to school, um, I remember trying to read, but the words would just dance. I could not learn anything. I was thinking, am I gonna eat tonight? Do I need to go gather wood so my mom can cook? Uh, you know, am I gonna get beat up again? What's gonna happen? So, so anyways, um, uh, I did not learn. So I told my mom, I'm not learning anything anyway. So, so um, she said, then you can come in and live with me. So I came like most Mexicans do. You know, I jumped the fence and came to work. <laughs> and I went to work at a chicken farm. And uh, I, this is kind of a rural area, but I don't know if you guys have chicken farms, so I'm gonna tell you what it's like, okay? So they have the chicken farms, they have those long uh, lines of chicken, uh, rows and rows and rows of chickens, okay? Uh, in every row, there's a lot of wire boxes. And under the wire boxes, there's a chicken poop, okay? So when immigration came to take the illegal Mexicans back to Mexico, some will run up the hill and some of us will hide in the chicken poop. And I'm gonna tell you what it's like to be in the chicken poop because you probably don't have that experience. <laughs> but when you're sitting in the chicken poop, there's worms, there's bugs, and they stick to your, to your skin. The chicken poop is really creamy, so it's hard to get rid of. <laughs> so I remember sitting in the chicken poop and thinking, I hope they don't find me because I'm gonna have to go back and live with a monster. You know, I much rather be in the chicken poop than go and live with my father again. And so when I didn't get um, arrested, I remember coming out and trying to clean myself up, you know, but it's impossible. Um, I had a lot of acne and uh, I had no friends. I was 15 years old and no education. And, and I thought, you know, I'm just the reject of, I'm just like the chicken poop. I'm the reject of this world. And uh, Thank God for a program like Al-Anon, you know, because how do you get out of those tapes, you know, that we're just nothing and we're reminded every day by, you know, by the disease of alcoholism um, that uh, we're nothing without a step two, you know, um, for God to return us to sanity. Is I will continue to think that way, I think. So I still, in my old day, in, you know, when the disease is trying to hit me, I, I still remember it's like, oh, I'm just a bad person, or I'm just, no, it's a disease talking, and I need to remember that I have 36 principles of the program with all the slogans, traditions that, that you know, that can back me up and say, you are where you need to be. You know, you are a child of God. So anyways, um, one day I asked my mom if I could go to school and because I had no friends and, 
And she said, yeah, you can, but you can't stop working. So I, I went to school, and that's where I saw the most beautiful guy in the universe. <laughs> there he was. He was tall, thin, beautiful, long hair. And I remember looking at him, and you know, I just felt in love. You know, he, he was just so beautiful. And I remember he had this long, beautiful hair, and when he moved, the world moved with him. <laughs> and, uh, and then I looked at me. I go, you're, you're tall, you're stupid, you should be selling food on the streets, you're a prostitute, you know, you look like a dog, and all oh, those tapes. You know, my father was not there anymore, but they were, they had become, those thoughts had become part of me. And um, in, in Al-Anon, in our courage to change, it says that anything we let go has our claw marks on them, you know? So even though I feel so bad about myself, I was not gonna let him go that easily. <laughs> so I started spying on him, you know? I now have one friend, uh, today it's called stalking, it's against the law, <laughs> but back in the day it's called spying, and so I started spying on him, and every time he went by, he had a lot of friends, and every time he went by, I threw kisses on him, and then I pushed my friend so he would think it was her, you know? But um, somehow he found out it was me. <laughs> and one day I was at the park with this one friend, and, and I saw him, and there he was. And my heart wanted to come out of my chest now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and he called me over, and we introduced ourselves, and, and he said, would you like to go to a concert tonight? And I thought, I wonder what that is. <laughs> I had never listened to rock music or anything like that. And, and so I said, sure, you know. Uh, so he came and picked me up, and, uh, and he had this little Nova. <laughs> and I got to sit next to him, and he had a lot of friends. This guy had a lot of friends. And they, I looked in the back side of the, of the seat, and they were all piled up on top of each other, you know. <laughs> And then I got to sit next to him, and he pulled out this eight-track player, <laughs> put it in the stair, and this loud music of rock and roll came out. And, and, and they were drinking, you know, and that was pretty normal. You know? and, and then they were smoking pot. And, and then I thought, oh, my God, I'm back in my grandfather's lap, you know. <laughs> and they, that joint went in front of me, and they said, you want to take a hit? And I go, oh, no, thank you, because I don't smoke, right? I've never been high or drunk in my life. And, and so I go, oh, no, thank you. But then I thought, you know, I can roll them for you if you need help. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had years of experience. Right? But, so it was 1975, and we went to see Bad Company. <laughs> and um, we dated for two years. And these two years, he tried to kill me a couple of times because he was high on acid. And while he's shocking me, I'm thinking, um, you know, this guy, all he needs is love. <laughs> when, you know, he's, he, he grew up in Mexico, homeless on the streets. His mom abandoned him when he was a little boy. And all I'm thinking is, he just needs a little love, you know. <laughs> and I remember, um, you know, getting my, myself out of his, you know, his hands out of my neck, and I go, everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking, when we get married, we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna live in a nice area in, in Rancho Bernardo, which was, at that time, was high-class neighborhood in San Diego. And we're gonna play tennis in the weekend, you know, and we're gonna um, have two lowriders park outside. <laughs> You know, those were my dreams, and I don't know how that happened, you know, but anyways, now I'm pregnant, okay? I'm 18 and I'm pregnant, and, and, I, and he comes over, and um, I tell him, you know, I'm a strong woman, and I'm gonna be okay, you don't need to marry me, and he said, you're crazy, we're gonna marry. And we got married, and we had this beautiful little girl, and, uh, and she was just so beautiful, we named her Mirabella, which means look at the beauty. And I remember being so in love with my daughter and my husband, and, and you know, she just, she looked just like her dad, and I thought, you know, this is a fruit from two people that love each other, and here's the fruit. 
And, uh, and I remember looking at my beautiful, beautiful daughter and thinking, Mirabella, you are so beautiful. I'm going to love you and protect you, and I'm going to make sure that you are never hurt like I've been hurt. Nobody's going to hurt you like I've been hurt. And you know what? I meant that. I meant it with all my heart. I love my daughter. But I didn't know that living with alcoholism would become sick too. And now all my attention is not on my beautiful daughter that God had given me as a gift of the universe. You know, all my concentration is on what the alcoholic is doing, not doing, and how to prevent him from doing whatever he was about to do. Um, and he's, you know, his alcoholism progressed. Now he's using heroin. Uh, he's shoplifting. You know, I'm shoplifting with him because, after all, he needs a supportive wife. You know, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm cooking for him, not cooking for him, beating him up, not beating him up. Everything that that the person just read. <laughs> I'm doing all that and nothing is working. He's still out there with his friends. And, and, um, and so I thought, okay, I'm gonna have a son. And this time he's gonna stop drinking because I'm, I'm gonna have a son. And, and I could not believe I had a son. <laughs> and I, I named him after him, Carlos. And you think, you know, for me, I'm thinking, that that would make him stop drinking if I name him after him, but no, that did not uh, work. So he continued to um, go to jail, um, get high, everything that happens. I don't need to go in details. And, and I got deeper and deeper into my disease. And now my sisters are living in the US. They're using drugs, they're involving gangs. My husband my hu and my grandfather are getting high together. My mom has another bo a, a new boyfriend now. She has another child. They're both selling heroin to my husband, and I'm just going insane. I just did not know what to do. So I remember as a little girl, I used to go to, to church, and, uh, and I would tell the, the priest, well, this is what happened. My dad beat me up, so I beat my sisters. And then the priest will say, well, get on your knees and pray. I'm like, that did not help. You know, I felt worse. And, and I, I thought, there's just nowhere for me in this world. I, I knew there was help for AA, but there was no help for the families. And, and, uh, and I thought, okay, maybe I need to go to a counselor. And I thought, you know, people like me don't go to counselors. I thought people that, that I went to counseling were those who had boogers coming out of their nose, saliva. And I looked myself in the mirror, there was a lot of things wrong with me, but no liquids were coming out of my face. <laughs> you know, so I didn't belong there. And it was just, I just didn't know what to do. I knew, I just knew that if we continue in this lifestyle, my kids were either going to die in a gang shooting or um, die of a drug overdose or end up the rest of their lives in prison because that's everything I saw. I did not see anything else. And, and so, I, uh, so one day I, I got, there was just no way out and I got in the car and there was nothing, you know, I, I, the only idea that I came up with is to kill myself and kill my kids because there was just no way out. And I got in the car and I put my kids in the car and I started driving and I was driving 100 miles an hour and I said, if there's a God up there, help me stop because I just wanna die. And you know, today I understand that when we ask God for help, God always listens, he always does. It might take him a week, it might take him a month, it might take him a year, but he listens. And on that day, he listened to me. I was able to stop and, and, and three weeks after that, my husband went in front of the judge and the judge told him, you either go to prison or you go to treatment. And he chose treatment. And that's when I was introduced to Al-Anon. 
And I went to my first meeting, and I had this false pride, you know, that I didn't belong there. And I remember going to the first meeting, and everybody looked so beautiful, just like you do today. You know, they all had a sparkle on their eyes. They had the spirit within, and I could not catch it. But, but you know, um, they asked me if I wanted to share, and I said, well, I don't think I belong here because, see, my husband's not an alcoholic. He's an addict. And this really nice lady tapped me on the shoulder. She said, dear, keep coming back. <laughs> <laughs> see, my false pride was about my sisters are gang members, and they have nice little writers. <laughs> I'm married to this hard dude that, you know, he's full of tattoos. <laughs> False pride, I had nothing. And, uh, and, and, then, uh, and then I thought, you know, I'm not gonna say that there's alcoholism in my life because I thought addicts were higher class than the alcoholic. So I was not gonna let you know that there was alcoholism in my life. Because, you know, that was old fashioned. <laughs> so, um, my husband's alcoholism progressed, and now I decided that I told him, well, let's move to Mexico. I'm illegal in the States, and I tell him, let's move to Mexico. Get you away from your friends. And, and um, so we did. He's like, whatever. And so we did, and every morning, um, you know, he found a new connection. Every morning, I'm crossing the border. I'm driving 120-some miles a day to keep him away from his friends. He's drinking. I decided to take karate classes because he needed a strong message. Uh, uh, so I took karate classes, and now uh, he's coming home. I'm jumping out of bed, go, <laughs> you know, trying to get him, you know, to stop drinking. He did. That didn't work. So one day, um, I'm driving home after treatment. He's back in his disease, and 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 I'm, I remember driving, and and for the first time, it was like I woke up of a nightmare, and I looked on the right, and he's passed out. And that day, I I no longer cared. That day, I had run out of ideas of how to get him sober, and and I looked in the back seat, and there were two kids there, and my kids were just sitting there. My kids were super skinny. They, they, they didn't have a smile on their face. Their hair was all messed up. And I remember thinking, how did I get here? How did I get here? I made a promise to those kids that I was going to love them and care for them. And I was not taking care of my kids. And I didn't know what else to do. The upholstery of the car had been teared down. You know, growing up, I was this really good kid. But the disease just took over. I used to do yoga. I, I started doing yoga when I was six years old. I used to get up in the morning at age 11. I became vegetarian. I'm teaching yoga to adults. But I go home and there's a disease. You know, I could not see that. So my kids were born vegetarian. It was hard to feed them something in Mexico, some fast food. You know, uh, everything required time. And I didn't have the time because I was too busy chasing the alcoholic. And, uh, and, and that's why they were so skinny. And, uh, and, and I remember, you know, I didn't know what else to do. And then I remember my first Allen and meeting. And in my first Allen and meeting, I, I, you know, the only thing that stayed in my head was keep coming back. And they had the slogans. It was in Alano Club. It was a Spanish meeting. And, and it was, uh, they had the steps, traditions, the concepts, I'm sure, the slogans. And the only thing that stayed in my head was first things first and keep coming back. And I looked at my kids and they were first. And then on that day, I made a decision to come back to the States and let go of my husband. And he went to prison and I came back to Allen. And, and you know, I moved into, we moved into this apartment complex and, and it was a drug-infected apartment. But you know what? When you have the help of the program, it doesn't matter where you live because we have the power of the program, the power of the spirit. And, and, uh, and the kids you know, were so happy. There was a swimming pool. There was running water. There's food. There's grass. All those things that we sometimes take for granted, you know, 
they had, and, and they were so happy. And and uh, I I went to Al-Anon, and I went to look for the Spanish meeting. It was not there anymore. <laughs> and I didn't speak the language. I I could understand, but I couldn't um, I couldn't speak it. And and so I, I. But you know what? I was gifted with the gift of desperation. And I didn't matter. It didn't matter. Um, whether I spoke the language or not, I needed to go to Al-Anon. And, and because then I wanted, I had learned that I wanted to live more than I wanted to die. Because Al-Anon on the first meeting gave me the hope. And, and so I went to my second meeting and I'm sitting there, you know, my hair's long. Um, it's, uh, my, my husband used to cut my hair when he was drunk because we couldn't afford the hairdresser, so you can imagine how I looked. <laughs> He's a sheet metal mechanic, not a hairdresser. <laughs> and I had holes on my jeans, I had a big heavy jacket, and, and I'm sitting there shaking. I'm so cold, I'm so cold, my heart is so cold. You know, um, I, I remember like, having this thing on my chest that, that I'm always like crying, you know, like, <gasps> like that, you know. And there was not enough blankets to cover the coldness and, and the loneliness that I had in my heart. And I remember just sitting there and everything happens for a reason. You know, I, I, it was a large meeting in a small room. And I'm sitting there, I got there early, and I'm sitting in the couch, and people start coming in, and they, their sh shoulders are touching my shoulders. And for some reason, at that moment, I felt peace, and my heart stopped shaking. You know, I, no long, I was no longer cold. And I heard, you know, get a sponsor, work the steps, keep coming back, read the literature, and stay connected. And, and so on my second meeting, um, Oh, members were so great. They asked me if I wanted to share, and I said, oh, I can't. I don't speak the language. They said, just try. And, and so I will try, because I didn't want to get kicked out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on my second meeting, I, I, I went and I asked this man if he wanted to be my sponsor. And, and I asked Ralph if he wanted to be my sponsor because every time somebody shares, Ralph will acknowledge the person. And you know, our literature says that when we live in alcoholic homes, we speak a different language. And, and so it is true. I remember trying to speak with my sisters or my husband, and, and they will not listen, so I will be louder, and they will be louder, and soon nobody's listening to anybody. But in Al-Anon, people were listening, and, and so I went up to Ralph, and, and I asked him if he will be my sponsor, and Ralph looked at me. See, I didn't know Ralph was from England, and Ralph had a strong English accent. I'm from Mexico, I can't speak the language. <laughs> but you know what Ralph did, had is like, when anyone, anywhere reaches out for help, let the hand of Alan and always be there, and Ralph was there for me. And Ralph looked at me and he said, we'll give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> and Ralph and I started getting together three times a week. You know, um, we used to get together at the park. I learned that I couldn't uh, take my kids to to my sisters to be cared for because my kids were coming home with cigarette burns on their skin. You know, my sisters absolutely love my kids. They love my kids. But you know, the disease had taken over and there was strange people in their homes. So I learned that I could not take my kids over. So I will meet with Ralph at the park and, and then you know, he would say, well, let's talk about step one. And then I will try to write. And, and uh, since I didn't know how to write, <laughs> In English, I will use the dictionary, you know, and then I, you know, I, I will read my one day at a time, and and then my twelve by twelve, and I would just write and using the dictionary, and and so I will, I remember telling Ralph um, about my father calling me names and how I, I believe what he said. I'm stupid, Ralph, and he said, Magdalena, you are not stupid. He said. Um, just by, because the alcoholic call you a name, that does not make you so. 
he said, um, he said, see that bird up there? And then our one day at a time book says, and this is what my sponsor will say, Magdalena, um, it says that when somebody's talking negative to another person, it's just a reflection of how that person feels. So when my father talked to me that way, it was he was just talking about the way he felt. And and so so he said, see that bird up there? And it was a crow. And I said, yes. He said, what do you think of that crow? I go, well, it's beautiful, it's shiny. He said, Magdalena, do you think that bird gets up in the morning and looks in the mirror and says, you're too dark? <laughs> Your feathers are out of place. One leg is bigger than the other. It's like, no, that bird gets up and goes and does God's will. He goes to work. Feeds them, brings food for the kids and feeds them. That's how we, we live. We, we do God's will. And you need to stop judging yourself. He said, you are a child of God, and God does not make mistakes. So when he made you, he made you exactly how he wanted you to be. So you cannot um, call yourself names anymore. And, and so I'm a really good sponsee. <laughs> I listen to what my sponsor tells me because he always told me, Magdalena, two heads think better than one, okay? So listen to mine. <laughs> Yours is not very healthy. <laughs> and and so, um, so I always love exercising, so I will get up in the morning and, and go for a run. And if, in the past, if somebody passed me, um, I would say, oh, look at you, you're so slow. That guy passed you again. But because my sponsor said I could not call myself names, I stopped. And then when those thoughts would come to my mind and I'm running, I'm running, pretty woman running down the street. <laughs> so my way of thinking began to change, you know. Um, and, and my sponsor said, Magdalena, just because you have an accent, or, you know, that does, that does not make you different. You are a member of al and you have a voice. You're equals. We're all equals. In the eyes of God, we're all equals. If somebody doesn't like you, that's their problem. You just need to continue to work on yourself. He said, when you're working on yourself 100% of the time, do you have time to work on anybody else? No. Okay, so I continued to work on myself. <laughs> I got so excited with Al-Anon. I, I, um, I, uh, there was no Spanish meetings, like I mentioned, so I started Al-Anon meetings, hoping my family will come. But they never came, you know. Other people came. Uh, there was no Alatin, so I started Alatin meetings. Now I, I started Alatin meetings in Spanish. Now I had learned a little bit of English. So now I was doing Alatin meetings in English. And I was just so busy. Kids were now in Alatin. Everybody was busy. And now the alcoholic gets out of prison. <laughs> and he comes home and he says, if you don't do A, B, and C, I'm going to go out and get drunk. You know, in Alan and I learned about the unconditional love, OK? Alan and I learned that. Um, I remember having those two little kids, right, and not knowing what to do with them. And I remember calling Ralph and saying, Ralph, my kids are crying. I don't know what to do. And he said, well, if the kids are crying, there is a reason. So I learned, I learned to get on my knees and pray, <laughs> wash my face, and go see what the kids needed. But my friends also told me that in Al-Anon that when I pick up, when after I get up from work, I pick up the kids from the daycare, take them home, feed them, take them for a walk, bring them home, help them with their homework, give them a bath, putting them in bed, read something, and then I put myself in bed and I read something because I just for today pamphlet it says, Today, I will read something useful. I will not be a mental loafer. <laughs> so that's what I was doing when the alcoholic comes in and tells me that if I don't do A, B, and C, he's going to go out and get drunk. And I told him, well, just make sure you lock the door on your way out. You know, <laughs> I had finally learned how to detach with love, you know. And so um, instead of going to get drunk, he went to an AA meeting. And today, he's been sober for 38 years. So. <laughs> Yay, yay, yay. <laughs> it was 1990, 
and the world was gathering together in Seattle. And I told them, you know, why don't we go to the conference? And our kids were in uh, Southern California, Alatin, SCAC, I think it's called, a convention, the Alatin convention, and we went and got them out of the convention, and we went to Seattle, and we felt in love with Seattle, and, and uh, you know what happens when we stop bailing the alcoholic out of jail? There's money. <laughs> <laughs> so we were able to buy a boat, a house, a trailer, you know, all the things that, um, that we always wanted. And, but you know what? Money is not everything. It's not everything. What's, you know, what's important is that, uh, that we follow our dreams and trust on, the, on, on our higher power. And I'm gonna tell you a little bit about God, okay? Um, I had a hard time with my higher power. Um, I, I was mad at God, and, uh, and my, you know, so my sponsor said, Magdalena, what would you like your, your higher power to be, your God to be? Well, I want somebody that, you know, understands me, that runs with me, that backs me up, that doesn't shame me, and he's like, that's it, you got him. <laughs> so today, my, my higher power, the God of my understanding is the creator of the universe, okay? And, and so, I came uh, after um, we came back from Seattle, I, I told Ralph, Ralph, um, I think we want to move to Seattle. And he said, Magdalena, you know, wherever you go, there's uh, Allen on family groups everywhere, and, and God is with you. Family's everywhere, so you follow your dreams, Magdalena, because he, you know, if, you don't, if you don't move, if you don't follow your dreams, you're always gonna wonder what it will be like. So you go do it. So, so we moved to Seattle now. We're um, living into this um, little apartment. The kids thought they were camping every day, you know. Um, my husband used to make elevators. Now he's cleaning elevators at the airport. I'm working as a waitress. Uh, and I went to the local intergroup office and I asked them if, if they had anything for me to do because I need to be in service. And they said, well, keep coming back so we can get to know you better. <laughs> so after a while, they gave me the great honor of being the Allerton coordinator for the intergroup office. And I was just so honored. You know, every service position is an honor because you're helping the children of God. And, and so, so anyways, um, um, after a while, um, one day I, I'm getting up from work. It's six in the morning. I'm I have my green little uniform on, and full of grease. And I get on my knees and I said, God, how much longer do I need to do these kind of jobs? And I remember my sponsor telling me, Magdalena, you need to go back to school. And I told Ralph, Remember, Ralph, I can't learn. And he said, yes, you can. You need to go back to school. So on that day, because my sponsor told me to, I went back to school. And, um, and while I'm in school, my daughter starts drinking. And um, you know, our kids that have grown up in the program, they're so smart. They know the language. She grew up in Allerton. She knew everything about the program. And, um, but now she's coming home with black marks under her eyes and bruises on her skin. I go, what's going on? This kid is going to Alatine. And we learned that she was drinking. She started drinking and then she couldn't stop. And, and so we asked her, Mirabella, um, you want to go to treatment? Go to AA? And she said, um, OK. <laughs> so she goes to treatment, gets off, same thing, back drinking. And she did this, her journey for a while. And then one day, you know, we found out that she was telling the little one, if you don't drink with me, you're not a man. And so she was affecting the unity of the home. Tradition one talks about we grow in unity. And, and my husband and I were now arguing and uh, we were in pain. And so we had to ask her to leave um, because in Alan and I learned that the more comfortable I make it for the alcoholic to drink at home, why would they get sober? You know, 
So I learned in Al-Anon that we put our loved ones in the hands of God. And when they're in the hands of God, they have everything they need. If God created the beautiful universe where we live, why can't he take care of my daughter? So we had to ask her to leave. And, um, and um, we told her, you know, when you're ready, uh, you can come back, but uh, you need to follow the rules of the house. So uh, one day she came home and said, Mom, I need help again. I go, no, Mirabella, you go to AA, get a sponsor, work the steps, and you're going to be okay. And she got really close to me and said, Mom, don't you understand? I can't stop drinking. And you know, when she got really close to me, she smelled like the stale alcohol that my dad had in his breath. Now my daughter had it. And, uh, and I said, no, I don't, you know, I don't understand. So um, during this time, during her journey, I'm going to school and one day, you know, Alanons are really good on um, finding alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> And, and uh, I'm, I called Ralph and I said, Ralph, I have finals today, but I haven't seen my daughter for a long time, for weeks. I want to go look for her. And Ralph said, you know, Magdalena, you go to school, and if your daughter decides to come back, she'll find an educated mother. And so that's what happened. You know, she came home uh, one more time. You know, we took her to treatment. We put her beautiful daughter in the back seat of the car, wrapped her in a blanket. She was our baby. And we took her to Spokane. It was on a Thanksgiving weekend and, uh, and on the snowy road, we took her to treatment. At the treatment center, they took her to a Native American meeting. Um, the Native American meeting needed a coffee person. Her growing up in the Alatin program, she knew everything about service. So she became the coffee person. And today, by the grace of God in Alcoholics Anonymous, she's been sober for 28 years. And I'm just so grateful. She got married to the guy of her dreams in AA. <laughs> Unfortunately, he relapsed. <laughs> and after they had this little girl, you know, um, one day she said, she told him, you know, I love you, but I love my sobriety and my daughter more. And she walked out just like that. She didn't take karate classes. <laughs> Bell alcoholic, nothing, nothing. They're so smart. I, um, you know, um, my son, after 15 years in Alatin, <laughs> said, mom, I'm cured. I'm well. <laughs> I got it. I go, okay, that's fine. Uh, but you know, he, th this kid has grown up with the principles of the program. He knows everything. He, he drinks, but he's got good balance. Uh, when he was 15, he had a, a girlfriend, and, when they, and they got a cat. When they broke up, my son gained custody of the cat and brought the cat home. <laughs> I don't like cats. And so one day, this kid does everything. He goes to school, he's good grades, uh, participates in school, has activities, has a job, does everything right. But I'm having a bad day, okay? So I looked in his room and it's messy. So I wrote him a note. I told him, if you don't clean your room, I'm gonna throw your cat away. <laughs> and then he wrote me a note back saying, mom, I'm cleaning my room one day at a time. <laughs> I'm not all the way done yet, you know. He put the circle with the triangle. He put, hey, hey Alan, I'm keep coming back, it works. <laughs> and in Spanish, P.S., leave my cat alone. <laughs> you know, tradition 10 says that we don't get into outside issues. His room, it's an outside issue. I'm looking for controversy. So we practice these principles in all our affairs, right? When he went away to the university, uh, he, uh, um, you know, he left the cat home and I introduced him to the outside world and he became a happy, joyous, and free cat. You know. <laughs> Today I work for the state of Washington as a parole officer. <laughs> um, I, um, my job can be, it's a dangerous, you know, uh, we go into people's homes, they get their weapons out, their alcohol, their drugs, and, and uh, one day um, I, you know, I, this is years ago, I, I told Ralph, I go, 
my job is dangerous. Most of my fellow officers are, are um, armed. Um, I think I need to be armed, but I don't know if I can pass a psychological evaluation because I'm kind of crazy. And, and then Rob said, well, if God wants you to have a gun, you will. So today I'm an armed officer. <laughs> my sisters were really scared for my husband. <laughs> but um, after doing that for 21 years, I decided that I'm done fighting. <laughs> you know, um, I'm never going to win. And so I started working recently in this other program where the department allows people to release people that have been in prison for a while, alcoholics, addicts mainly, they come out into the community and I, and I supervise them closely and, and, I, and the department provides them with housing, food, everything that they need. And, and they call me every single day and, and you know, and they come in more than they need to. <laughs> and, and they, they, you know, and when I speak with them, it's just the principles of the program. And I send them to, of course, uh, sober support meetings. And, and I work with the families. Today I work with the families and I refer them to Alan. And, and, and I really like what I'm doing now. Um, I, Carlos and I have now been married, if we make it by June. <laughs> we'll be married for 45 years. Um, I love Carlos, you know, um, he's my best friend. My daughter remarried, and, and now has, you know, she's a high school teacher, and she practices principles with all the kids that she works for. So it's just, you know, it's a, we come to get, and then we give, and we give, and we give, and, and God has a plan for all of us. Uh, I, I love service. I eventually became a, the Washington area delegate, and, and I just have a beautiful life. I call my sponsor, Ralph Dye, after um, 35 years of sponsoring me. Um, he died, and, uh, and, and two weeks after, I have another sponsor, and, and I call Ruth, and I said, Ruth, uh, I have no problems. <laughs> I have no problems in my life. I just want to let you know that I so appreciate you. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I, um, when my dad died, I was able to, um, to hug him and tell him that I love him. I really don't know where those words came from. I'm sure God put him in there. And, uh, and after I hug him, and, and he started crying, and he said, thank you for forgiving me. You know, today I have a good relationship with my sisters and my mom, and, and I just, uh, I love this program. I'm going to end up with a story that I, that I always share. Um, when I was a little girl, I used to, um, in Ensenada, you know, we have the ocean, and I remember going to the ocean with belt marks all over, open wounds, and the salt hurts open wounds. So I remember going under the ocean and hoping I will come out in another, in another place where people got along, people smile, people love one another, and, and there was um, love, you know, there was just love. And of course I came out and everything was the same. Today I feel that I have gone under the waves and come out on the, on the other side and I have found all of you. Thank you so much for my life and God bless you.